Spirit prompted me is important in this house today as well. So when I went to Michigan last week, what I did was, and I'm going to do it for you too, but when I went there, I started the service by asking them, I said, how many people in here are believers? And I'm going to ask you the same thing. How many people in here are believers? You believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has come and he saved your soul. Your life has changed. Hold your hand up for a second. Okay, now, let me ask this question. It's not a trick question. I asked them last week the same, time, the same way. I asked them, I said, now, how many of you that raised your hand and said you're believers, how many of you believe that you are a sinner? And then they raise their hand. So I'm going to ask the same question. Of you that raised your hand, said you're a believer, I want you, if you believe you're a sinner, I want you to raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. There's conflict there. You can't be both. You cannot be both. See, part of the struggle with walking fully in the nature of Christ is not being able to identify with the nature of Christ because if I believe that I'm a sinner, I'm focused on sin and not on the nature of Christ. See, there's no scripture in Bible, and there is no scripture in all the Bible that says you're born a sinner. And I'm just going to say this really quickly because I knew that there was a reason that this needed to be said this morning, and it's not to make anybody feel better. What I want to set you free from what I want to remind you that I am not setting you free. I want to say to you what needs to be said to remind you, as we sung about being reminded this morning, remind you that when He came and saved your soul, He set you free. Free. Somebody say, he set me free. Okay, well, the problem with that is there's so many believers in the world today that said Jesus Christ has set them free, and yet out of their mouth when they talk to somebody, but I'm still a sinner. Then what were you free from? And what were you freed to? He did not free you from sin to introduce you to sin. So... What we believe and what we're taught erroneously, and let me come up here. What we believe and what we're taught, I'm not going to get into this deeply. We have a, a whole series that I taught a few years ago we can come to. Uh, maybe I'll teach this again on a different day besides Sunday morning. But we've been, what we've been taught in the church world, all of our, most people, all of their lives, or as long as they've been in the, in the church, is they've been taught that we're born into sin. How many have been taught that? You're born into sin. Which is probably why you believe that, Right? It's why I believed it for so long. We're taught when you're born, you're born into sin. Yet there's not a single scripture that says that in all the Bible. Not one. No reference point. But there is scripture that says in Psalms, it says when we were born, we were born into iniquity. Which is what they base that idea on. But when you dive into the original text, being born into iniquity, that had nothing to do with I was born with iniquity. It means I was born into a world filled with iniquity. And the reason you were born into the world filled with iniquity was so that you could change the world filled with iniquity. Now, how am I going to change a world filled with iniquity if I'm full of iniquity? And at the same time, if we accept, if we are going to accept that every natural baby born of a woman is born into sin, if we're going to accept that, we cannot pick and choose where these laws that man applies are applied. So if we are going to accept that because we were born of a man and a woman, because we came from the womb of a female, because of that, if I'm going to accept I was born into sin, erroneously, if I'm going to accept that, and I want to make an argument for that, 
then we're going to have a very difficult time accepting the verse or the scripture mentioned several times in the Bible that Jesus Christ knew no sin. After all, he was born of a woman, a human baby born of a woman. And I can tell you, he did not, it was not applied to you and me what was not applied to him because he took upon himself everything that we would ever know. Is anybody hearing me today? I don't want to get into that deeply, but I want some people to be reminded of who you are. Please, please let today be the day. If you have received Jesus Christ... You are no longer a sinner. And I I encourage you to read this. I won't read it right now, but go to 1 John chapter 3 and read, 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 read. You are no longer a sinner, but you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. Do you hear me today? So, again, I can't dive into that fully, but I want you that raised your hand, that believe that somehow you have Christ, you've received Christ, He's changed your life, and He's set you free, but somehow you're still a sinner. The problem with continuing to believe I'm still a sinner is I will always be sin conscious. I'm always going to be sin aware. And I will not be Christ aware. It is not just important. It is profoundly, it is an imperative, it is, what's the word I want to use that makes this point so strong? It is, whatever makes the word strong to you, this statement strong to you, you and I have got to accept when he set me free, he did not set me free from everything but sin. In fact, yes, he set me free from sin and then everything else comes alongside. Doesn't mean you won't sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Doesn't mean all are going to continue sinning. So those last week, it was wonderful time. The questions that we received from them was phenomenal regarding this and I can tell you people are set free. You're set free not because I'm reminding you today of who you are. You're set free because you received Jesus Christ. Receive that freedom too. Receive the liberating anointing of Christ that came to deliver you from the oppression, from the laws and the legalism that the world I'm telling you what, the world feels good about making you believe you're a sinner because as long as you believe you're a sinner you're always going to make yourself small. that make sense? As long as you believe that, well, you know, woe is me, just little old me. I'm still a sinner, so I'm just trying to get along as best I can. No, I'm not a sinner. Man, I was chosen by God to do some amazing things. He delivered me from sin so I could do it with power and authority and anointing. I just want to throw that out there. Steve, what in the world does this have to do with anything you're saying today? I'll tell you what else is interesting. It probably provoked this as much as me looking around this morning. 
I got a text from a friend of mine that's uh, been a friend of mine for a long time. He's in ministry in New York. He sent me a text this morning, and he just, he said, hey, man, he said, I just want to share something with you today. It's really been stirring in my heart. And he said, um, he, he started talking about the glory of God. He just, it was long text. But he started talking about the glory of God. Some people can text a novel. For me, I text like three or four words, and I hope you understand it. But uh, usually it's a voice text, and sometimes I'm like, I have to call back and say, that's not what I said. <laughs> but he sent me this text. He was talking about the glory of God, and he said, man, just celebrate today. I'm telling you, he said, the glory of God is, is ever-present, and sin is not. And I said, man, I just talked last week about not being sin conscious. He said, man, that's what's on my mind. It stirs me up. Man, it's not Steve Parker that needs you to know who you are. I do. But I'm not the primary. I'm not God. I'm not all authority. I'm not omniscient. Omnipotent. I'm not any of those things. I'm a voice. But the Father needs you to know who you are. And He needs you to know who you aren't. And He needs you to put off what you aren't so that you can be who you are. Amen? All right, I'm going to stop with that right there. Yeah, go ahead and put your hands together for real quick while I open up this iPad. So I want to jump into what I'm talking about this morning. It's even when I can do it myself. We were in intercession a few weeks ago, and, I, and I, while we were praying, and uh, on Wednesday mornings, I encourage you to be here and be a part of intercession, 6 o'clock. Um, we were walking around and, and praying, and, and this is what I heard Holy Spirit speak to me. He said, even when I can do it myself, why would you? I shortened up the title, but even when I can do it myself. And, uh, and I, was, I was just pondering what he was saying to me, so I stopped up here, I was praying up here, and I went over and I sat down on the platform and I got my little phone out, and everybody else that was praying probably thought, what's he doing texting in the middle of, I wasn't texting, I was taking notes. And, uh, and I'm writing some notes, as Holy Spirit speaking to me, I'm writing some things down. And as I begin to dive into this, I realize, oh my goodness, how often, how often do you, do I, do we, press into doing things ourselves because we feel like we don't want to bother God with it? Or do we press in to do things that we don't want to bother others with? I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I don't want to bother anybody else with it. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. We do this to the Father. How often do we do that? So today I want, to, I want us to look at why we should ask the Father to help us lean on Him even when we believe we can do it ourselves. You can follow along if you are, with the app. You can follow along this morning and you just click on today's notes and, and uh, you can follow along with me. But before I jump into this anymore, uh, when we were praying this morning before we came out, there were a few people back there that said some things that really, uh, you know, I don't dream about people uh, ever. Um, I don't even dream very often. Everybody, they say you do. I, if I do, I don't remember it. But in the night last night, I woke up. I slept all the way through the night. It was wonderful. I woke up one time. And um, I was thinking about uh, something came into my mind and then something else came into my mind. And what came into my mind, I, I thought, I saw a, the face of Vanessa Batista. And when I saw her face, I knew that when I saw it, that there was something that Holy Spirit had put in her. Didn't have any idea what it was. And then I went right back to sleep. Usually, 
When I wake up in the morning, I don't remember anything at all. And today I did. And, uh, but I saw her face. I knew there was something in her. So when we met for prayer this morning, I said, Vanessa, I told her I had a dream. Your face was in it. I saw uh, something was in you. Do you have anything in you? And she shared uh, something with all of us that I'm going to ask her to come. So, Vanessa, I want you to come. And then when I asked if anyone else had something to add, uh, Jacob Lowry and Archie Phillips did as well. So I'm going to ask each of these to come and share no more, no less than what they shared in that back room this morning with you. Because as each of them spoke, I realized how... joined and in line, that is, with what Holy Spirit gave me for today. Oh, you have a mic. Okay. All right. So I'm Vanessa Batista. Um, so what I was sharing this morning with the team was um, that uh, about a year ago, uh, my husband, uh, uh, we had an opportunity to hunt me and my son together. And uh, we were able to harvest something. And in, um, in the natural, we were just simply hunting. But in the spirit, I knew that my son and I were just fighting off some things and we were just getting rid of some generational things that were just kind of lingering for a really long time. And um, uh, two weeks ago, I had an opportunity to go hunting again. And I went with my son and I went with my daughter, Brianna. So Christian, you know, you've, a lot of you have heard him speak. He's willing to speak. But Brianna's kind of my quiet child. I'm a little more shy, but um, as I was sitting down, because I couldn't help with the hunt at all, so I was literally just a spectator, um, but uh, I was watching Brianna hunt, and um, they have rods inside the gators, so Christian had one, and Brianna had one. They're hunting gators. They're hunting gators. We're and hunting gators. And I'm so gators. thankful. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, as Christian, Christian was on the left, and Brianna was on the right. When I was looking at Christian, Christian was really, really, it was hard. It was, it was a struggle. So you see the rod, you know, it's bowing down. Um, for those of you who are fish, you know, who fish, um, it, was re it was a real struggle. But he, you know, the captain would say to him, hey, Christian, are you okay? You've got this? And he's like, no, 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 I've got this, I've got this. But you can see the struggle. And then when I looked to my right, Brianna's posture was very straight and very calm. And for one hour, she just, the whole time, the whole time. Are you okay, Brianna? I'm fine. She's sweating, but she was fine. And um, in this dispensation of where I'm walking, I find myself in a place where I am just dissecting and considering everything I say. Everything I say, I'm like, you know, is, th is that the right heart? Is that the Father's heart? And um, in that, um, I, was I was reflecting back on my children and their posture and just the fact that I noticed um, Brianna, the, the, the child that's kind of like under the radar, you know, m the father was showing me the thing that doesn't necessarily stand out all the time, mm. you know. So I was like just focused on that posture and, you know, I just, that's been stirring in me, just something so simple, but that he brought my attention to. And he showed you how to, through that, how to manage, how did you word it? Man yeah, I said that I had the opportunity to, to watch my children. So the first gator I harvested, it was a tough one, and I had to end up harvesting it. But this time, I had the opportunity to watch them manage the fight. Yeah, I love that. 
you know, and we, we harvested a 10 foot big boy. That's a big but boy. I watched them manage the fight. So I love that. Yeah. And I love the, well, I'll, I'll come back and talk about what I love. <laughs> Hello, I am Jacob. So on the heels of what she shared, what I heard was something uh, many months ago, I started retraining uh, with a voice coach. And she's wonderful, super qualified, crazy expensive, and she had <laughs> these, but worth it. And she had this, she, every time I would kind of scream for something, she would say, stop, your effort is not your power. Mm. And says, your alignment is what gets you where you need to be. Mm. It's once you align everything, it isn't hard. <laughs> but you have to train up everything to find that alignment on command. But once you know what that alignment feels like, your voice, and you, you know where you need to go, where you know where you need to be, and it should never feel like screaming. And that's something that I've noticed in every element of my life and in others. You know, you start to notice this sort of, this idea that I need to do this in order to show that I can or I am. And it's this, like, not necessarily. Sometimes it's the, just the alignment alone puts you where you need to be. Excellent. And because Jacob shared what he shared, it, it, it stirred me to remember um, there's some things that I, I have been faced with that would uh, really cause uh, a lot of uneasiness in me, you know, in my personal life. And I was uh, watching things, I was reading things, and I was trying to gain the wisdom on how to address these things best. And one day when I was asleep, the father woke me up in the middle of the night. And he just simply said to me, not by your wisdom, but by mine. Yay. And from that point, <clears throat> I've been totally at peace with it. And I've seen exponential growth through that. So I'm real thankful for that. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So... With each of these, as they shared back there, it, uh, it just stood out to me on the alignment of each of these with what Holy Spirit put in my heart today about even when I can do it myself. Now, so let me ask this question before I join what they said in with what Holy Spirit has given me. How many of you, and be honest, but how many of you often simply find it easier, even if you know there is help outside of you. Simply find it easier just to go ahead and do it yourself. Hold your hand up. Well, I was going to ask somebody tell me why, but there's way too many answers right now. But rhetorically, why? Why? Why, why is it that even if we know that there's help outside of our hell, our, ourselves, why will we continue to do myself what I know that not only can someone help me do, well, here's the hard part, they might even do it better. Ouch, 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 ouch. And all the husbands said, that's what my wife keeps telling me. Just because, just because we can do it ourselves does not mean that the way we would do it ourselves is to our advantage. 
I want to point out this morning, not on whether or not other people are helping you, which is you can insert that however you want to, but I want to focus this morning on how not letting yourself fight the battle alone. Sometimes, as Vanessa said, managing the fight. Managing means stepping out of the fight. I manage it by stepping out of it. And I say, Yahweh, this is on you. I'm going to let you take care of it. And believing Him. And it's difficult, so, so difficult to do. And then as I'm thinking about what each of them said, and then Jacob, effort is not your power. And it's just clicking. All the little things are clicking. And I'm thinking, man, I mean, how often? How many of you came in here sweaty this morning, not naturally, but you were mentally sweating because you've put so much effort into overcoming something or things. You've put so much effort into doing this thing. Your, your mind, if it were possible for your mind to sweat, it's sweating this morning. And the Father's reminding you, your, your effort is not your power. What if we get past believing that it's all on me? And I can get to the place where I can accept, Father, I'm going to have to trust you with this thing. Even if I can do it myself, the way I do it might not bring about the results that I need for this thing to be corrected. Say this with me. Say, misguided direction is failing to accept that our path might need adjusting. I'll say it one more time. Misguided direction, Misguided direction is failing to accept, failing to accept that, the path I'm on that the path I'm on might need some adjusting. And let me add this to it. And I might not be the adjuster of my own path. Maybe the part of my adjusting is simply saying, as we were talking about a moment ago about sin, maybe the part of my path to adjust to get adjusted is simply to say, Father, I repent. And then the path that was crooked and went every which way suddenly becomes straight. Isaiah 55, 9 says this, says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is what the Father says. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I want you to look at this graphic that's behind me. Throw that graphic back up there, please, with a the, with the man looking at this big blank wall. And he's got, he look, it's, it's sort of me when I'm looking at a wall with a roller. I am not a painter. I don't like to paint. I would rather pay somebody to paint. I don't care how big the wall is. I don't like to paint. This is me in painting. I buy a cheap roller. I buy a cheap brush. I don't clean them. When I'm done with a job, I throw them away. You will not find used paintbrushes in my garage. When I'm done, they're out. Because I don't want to clean up the mess. I don't want to have to do any of that. I get the little disposable paint things. I just throw it all away. Why rinse it out in a sink and everything, and then it coats my pipes and, and does all that in a plumber? Anyway, long story, I just don't do it. So this is me. So I want you to look at this. I want you to gaze on this thing. And here's a man 
standing looking at this massive big wall with his roller, and he's pondering in himself, I can do this, and that would be me, and that would be many of you, if not all, in one way or another. Looking at this massive wall, realizing I can do this myself, while also knowing, but do I have to? Now, we've got choices to make. We're going to choose to go ahead and do it ourselves. I'm just going to tackle it. It's going to, it's going to, there's a lot that's going to be involved here. I'm just going to tackle it. I'm going to knock it out. Or we can do this. We can call people who actually love to paint. My wife loves to paint. I don't even understand that, Jean. She loves to paint. Babe, something needs to be painted. Now, let me see this. Let me stop. Babe, something needs to be painted. And she'll paint. Say this with me. Say stubbornness Stubbornness. wins no wars. No war has ever been won where stubbornness was present. Stubbornness wins. The only way to win a war is to recognize that it can't be won alone. Is to recognize that every decision that needs to be made to win the war can't be made by one alone. I need to depend on other people. I want to read to you Numbers chapter 22, so if you would go there with me or follow along on the screen behind me. Numbers 22, beginning with verse 32, says this. says, The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you... Uh, hold on. Let's give, let me have somebody's Bible, please. I want to, go to, I want to read all of Numbers, most all of Numbers 22. Let me have a, a hand Bible. Numbers, sorry, chapter 22. I just coughed into your Bible. I apologize. We'll disinfect. (laughs) Numbers 22, beginning with verse 1, says, Then the people of Israel... You don't have to try to put all this on the screen. People can follow along and if... if, just, just hear me. Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond beyond the uh, Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. And Moab was overcome with the fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at at the time, sent messengers to Balaam. The son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammon, to call him, saying, Behold, there's a large group of people come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth, these Israelites, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with a feast for divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you, as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come and curse them for me. Perhaps I will be able to fight against them and drive them out. But God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. 
You can't curse what he blesses, and you can't bless what he curses. You don't be throwing around curses and blessings. Now, I don't know where I was. So God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go to your own land for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, let nothing hinder you from coming to me for I will surely do you great honor. And whatever you say to me, I will do. Come and curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go against the beyond, uh, go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know what the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise and go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went. Here's a mystery I'm going to help you clear up today. But God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw, that the, saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled. And he struck the donkey again with a staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And right then, I'd have been out of there, bud. The donkey said, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, <laughs> I don't know what's worse, the donkey talking to him or him talking to the donkey. Because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey? On which you have ridden all your life to this day. Is it my habit to treat you this way? And Balaam said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with a sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw, donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I've sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it's evil in your sight, I will turn back. I want to say this to you today about this story, what makes this story. I'm telling you, when, uh, stubbornness wins no wars. And here's a man riding a donkey that had received a word from the Lord. But he allowed others, instead of leaning on the, leaning on the word that the Father had given him, right. he went to another. He entreated once again. He said, they keep coming to me and keep asking me, so maybe God will change his mind. Amen. So I'm going to keep going to the Father, and I'm going to keep asking him the same thing over and over and over again until he changes his mind. But what happens if he does change his mind? 
It's not that he changes his mind. The father is not prisoner. He is loyal. He honors. He has integrity. And he will be true to his word that he gave all men a will. And every man and woman can choose for themselves the path that they trod. So it wasn't that the father changed his mind. It was that the father gave Balaam the ability to walk out his will. The father recognized he didn't listen to me the first time. I'm going to let him walk out his will, but I'm going to protect him. Even in his own will, I'm going to... He stopped leaning on me. I've got a better way. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get on this donkey. I'm going to tell this donkey to go through the crag of the rock. I'm going to tell this donkey to go through the field. I'm going to tell it to go wherever I need it to go. But this is what I'm going to do. Because after all, God ultimately blessed me. God did not bless him to go. God said to him the first time, do not go. And the second time, the father said, I gave you a will and I have to honor my word. You do whatever your will wants you to do. But even in the middle of you doing what your will wants you to do, and your stubbornness, Balaam, because you keep asking, because you're stubborn, you don't like the first answer, you believe you, you deserve the second answer. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Stubbornness does not win wars. Stubbornness would probably be better. Stubbornness does not get you through the crag of the rock. Stubbornness does not let you live and your donkey die. Is anybody hearing me this morning? So what I did, Balaam, because you keep asking me, I'm going to honor my word. My word is that I gave all men a will and your will, you do what you want. My hope, my hope, my passion, my desire, my will is that you trust me. My will is that you let me lead you. When you came to me and you asked me, Father, what do you do? These men were sent to me to go and prophesy. What would you do? Well, you can't bless what I've cursed and you can't curse what I've blessed. So don't go with them. What Balaam should have done as Balaam should have said, I'm not going. End of story. I'm not going. But when they came back, there was this sense, I can do this. Father, I'm going to come to you because that's what I'd normally do. It's, it's a routine. You know, I just keep going to you and asking you the same thing over and over again. I'm going to go to you and I'm going to ask you one more time, can I do this? Can I go and, and can I speak and can I prophesy and can I declare? And the father said, Balaam, you go ahead and go. If they come, again, rise and go. Because I cannot hinder you from doing your will. What I can hinder you from, though, is dying. I can still protect you. I'm going to tell you, there's people in this room today, stubbornness. I'm just, can I just say it? Stubbornness is your downfall. Stubbornness hinders you or me or whoever this might apply to. Stubbornness will hinder you from coming into the place that the Father wants you to be. Stubbornness will hinder you. It will, it will cause you, stubbornness will cause you to be found in places you do not belong. I can do this on my own. I don't need God's intervention. I don't need to pay attention to the first word He gave me. I'm going to keep asking Him until I get the answer I want. I'm going to keep going to different people until I get the answer I want. Different men of God, different women of God, different this, different that. I'm going to keep going until I get the answer I want. That's doing it yourself. That's saying, you know what, I can do this all by myself. I don't need the voice of God. I'm going to tell you, can I tell you this today? If you're stubborn and you're in here, maybe you're not. Maybe there's no one in here stubborn. Maybe it's you online. I don't know. 
Maybe we don't have any stubborn among us. But if you are, I want to tell you today, when you ask Him the first time, even if you think you can do it by yourself, even if you think you can release that thing, even if you think you can accomplish that thing, when you ask the Father and He gives you an answer, overcome stubbornness. Say, Father, help me overcome. I'm going to receive your word and I'm going to allow you to help me in this situation. I might have the knowledge and the understanding to do this thing. I might have the means by which to do this thing, but if I don't have your word, I've come up short. Being right is an idea. It's not a law. Our right, my right, your right, isn't always the best right. When my wife and I were asking the Father, and I won't stay in here long and I'll get to the next point, but when my wife and I were seeking the direction of the Father to come to wherever He wanted us to go to establish the rock, and we were looking, we were trusting Him, there were several places that we wanted to go. There were places that were in my heart. I thought, wow, what a wonderful place. Because I love, everybody that knows me knows, I love mountains, I love streams, I love camping, I love the outdoors, I love pretty, I like cool. I don't like 105. Ever, never. I don't care where I'm at, I don't like 105. I would not go anywhere intentionally for 105 degrees. So we believe. We found these places that the Holy Spirit had put in my heart, and I accepted, you know, that you give us the desires of our heart. So Tennessee was one place. South Carolina was another place. <laughs> All of those things. But every time we went to one of these places, we would drive to it, and we would drive around it, and something would just, I mean, everything, man, especially the tri-cities up in North, Johnson City, Tennessee. We were up in there, man, everything in that place naturally called out to me. The trees, the hardwoods, the streams, the lake. It was so pretty, and I thought, man, what we could do for Yahweh here. <laughs> they don't know what 85 degrees even feels like. They have four seasons, no humidity. Thought, man, and we're driving around there and we get to the hotel. I mean, I'm feeling happy in my heart. <laughs> and while I'm feeling happy in my heart, because we could make it happen there. We get into that hotel room and I open up those blinds and we're talking about where we're going to go eat and I opened up the curtain and I looked outside and I oh it took everything I had to get it out of my mouth this ain't it oh, I want it to be it God are you sure I'm really feeling Johnson City but I knew in my heart it wasn't it and I was disappointed I, I was genuinely disappointed. I wanted it to be it so bad. Even my wife, she loved it. We love Tennessee. We, we did not know yet how much we would love Florida. Because we were fixated on what we could do ourselves. This is the desire of my heart. I'm going to watch God move right in the middle of my desires. Anybody hearing me this morning? I'm just going to kick back by the lake and the water. I'm going to pitch me a tent. 
Why my wife's at the hotel? Because she won't be in a tent. <laughs> I looked out that window, and man, I, it was, it was, I, I just felt a sinking. This is it in my head. This is it in my heart. But it isn't it in Yahweh's mind. And I said to my wife, let's get dinner. And then we're going home. This ain't it. Then we went to Melbourne. We felt something about, we drove through. We, South Carolina was one of those places. We drove through South Carolina. We didn't even stop. <laughs> now, if you're from South Carolina, go for it. My father and mother-in-law live in South Carolina right now. And God bless your soul. But we felt like it was Greenville. We, we were thinking, man, it's Greenville, and we were excited about that. And we drove through Greenville. We were driving into Greenville, and I'm looking around, and, man, I'm still thinking the same things, trees, all the country, all the mountains, all the things that are available, and all the things that are around us that just really appeal to my natural person, both of ours, to our natural person. And, we're, I mean, we hadn't been in that town on the highway for five minutes. And I looked over at her, what are you feeling? She said, I ain't feeling it. I said, I'm telling you, I ain't either. This is, he doesn't want us here either. And again, it's like, man, Yahweh, if I could do it myself, this is where I'd do it. If I could do it myself, Johnson City is where I'd do it. But I'm going to trust you. I really don't know where you're doing, what you're doing, where you're taking me, but I'm going to trust you. And then of all places, well, then we go to Melbourne. We get to Mel Now, all this is going to sound very natural to you, but this is how Yahweh works with me. He works with me, and it's worked. It's worked for as long as I've been saved. And we get to Melbourne. Now, I know we have folks from Melbourne. So I'm going to be as kind as I can. We get to Melbourne, and I thought, oh, man, it's right here on the coast. My wife loves the beach. This is beautiful. Yahweh, he's, he's just found a way to give us the desire of our heart. We just knew it. This is it. This is it. Oh, thank you, Yahweh. We get in there. We, we go eat. We finish eating. First, I mean, we hadn't been there two hours. We finish eating. My wife said, well, let's just go over to the mall real quick because we forgot something. I forgot what it was, shirt or something. So we go to the mall, open up the front doors. I look down at the tiles on that floor and all the grout's dirty. The tile's a mess. There's trash laying on the floor. I said to my wife, I said, Yahweh doesn't want us here. <laughs> they can't take care of their mall. They don't take care of their people. But then we're driving home from Melbourne. And as we're driving home from Melbourne, we drive right through here. We came right through here. And man, there was like a bubbling going on in me. Now, my wife had reasons to not want this to be it. So keep in mind, here we went to places where we wanted to be, but he did not want us. And now we're driving through a place where we didn't want to be, but he did. If I did it myself, I wouldn't know you, and we'd be in the wrong place. It's more important that I know you than it is that you know me. Because me knowing you has changed my life in so many ways I can't number them. We're driving through, and man, something's bubbling up. And I said, babe, we might need to 
come back here. We couldn't that trip, but we might need to come back here. We got home. I was depressed. Long story short, <laughs> Nolan Ball, my spiritual father at the time, I was depressed because all the places I wanted to go, a higher power didn't want me going there. <laughs> but I trusted him. I was trying to, tr I was learning to trust him. Just being honest, like, like so many here, still learning, still learning every day more and more. We get there, I'm walking around that office, the halls of the church, and I'm depressed. And he came up to me and said, what's wrong with you? I said, Phew. I can't hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> Everything I thought he wanted for me and my wife and my family, every time I went somewhere, just every time I got there, he said, no, you missed it. All I know to do is miss stuff. He said, son, you didn't miss it. You just heard the preceding word of the Lord. He said, I want you to taste this, and I want you to taste it and see that it's good, but it's not your good. Then I want you to taste this, and I want you to see that it's good, but it's not your good. Then I want you to taste this, and I want you to see that it's good, but it's not your good. And then I want you to see what you never considered and see that it's my good. So we came back. She's from Melbourne. <laughs> we all left Melbourne. No, just kidding. That's right. Yes, he did. But we drove down here, and we came down here. It was on the worst conditions you can possibly imagine on that particular evening. We left late in the day, so we got here in the evening. We were on the turnpike. Traffic's backed up forever because there was an accident. It is pouring down rain. My six-month-old son is in the back seat screaming and letting everybody know that he doesn't want to be in that van anymore. It's pouring. We're in traffic. I got a screaming baby back there. And Holy Spirit says, welcome home. <laughs> and my wife and I looked at each other and I said, babe, what are you feeling? She said, I think I'm feeling what you're feeling. This is it. I said, this is it. This is where he's called us. We didn't know you. My wife's from Sanford. The fact that she would even believe to come back here even accept that it was a word. There was no, I'm doing it my way. I don't want to be there. I'm going to do it my way. There was none of that in her. It was, Father, it's your way. Everything else that we wanted, we can do it, and it'll be good, but it won't be your good. We can do it, and it might be right, but it won't be your right. Does anybody hear me today? Second thing I want to talk about real quick, when trouble is your friend, 2 Corinthians 1.9 says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was, to, that was to make us rely not on ourselves. We felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I want you to do this. I want you to hear me this morning. Say this with me. Say, pay attention, pay attention. To, your calamities. to your calamities. They might be pushing you back to the Father. Sometimes, oftentimes, many, many times, the things that we go through that are difficult, we would call struggles, 
We feel overwhelmed. We need to pay attention to those and not always accept and believe for a second that was sent by the enemy. Sometimes the ass upon which you ride is the one sent by God. And once you get through that, you'll be okay. You need to understand sometimes it is important for you and me to recognize that just because it is difficult, just because it is calamitous, just because it is a tragedy, just because it is difficult, doesn't mean the enemy sent it. Sometimes we need to accept trouble is our friend because maybe that trouble came because we have walked away from the very thing we were supposed to be leaning on and that is God Almighty. That indeed we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves. Sometimes the things we go through, we feel like, man, this is a sentence of death. This thing, there's no overcoming. There's no getting through it. It isn't sent by an enemy. It is sent so that you do not rely on yourself. But I can do it myself. And the Father says, yes, you can. But again, your right isn't my right. And your good isn't my good. How many want his good? Then his joy is to raise you up. Psalm 9 verse 10 reads like this, says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Don't get in the way of him raising you up. Don't get in the way. Look at the person beside you and tell them. Look at somebody somewhere around you and say, don't get in the way of Him raising you up. Mm -hmm. Say it again. Say, don't get in the way of Him raising you up. And those who know your name put their trust in you. Why? For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who do what? Who do what? Seek Him. Seek Him. Even if I can do it myself, doesn't mean I should do it myself. You don't bother the Father by asking Him, what would you have me do? It doesn't bother the Father when you believe in your own mind, you know the way to walk in in your mind. So because I've accepted I know the way to walk and I'm not going to talk to the Father, I want to tell you that does not lead to a good end. Even if in your mind you feel like I know what I need to do here, I know what I need to do there, include Him, not in simply letting Him know, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going and I'm going to prophesy whether you want me to go or not. Because I can. It isn't just letting him know. It's saying, Father, there's a lot of things happening around me right now. There's a lot of decisions that I've got to make. And I can make right decisions for me. But I want these decisions to be right by you. I can choose well for me. But I want to choose well for you. 
Even if your well doesn't look like my well or your good doesn't look like my good or your right doesn't look like my right. Even if I can do it myself, Father, I depend on you. Deliver me from my stubborn ways. When trouble comes, let me see it as a friend. May I learn from it. And then, Father, I trust you. I put my faith and my confidence in you to raise me up. I'm going to tell you right now, in this room, in this place, online, there are people, you're wadded up in a ball sitting in a floor somewhere in your mind because there's so much going on around you, you don't know what to do next. I'm going to tell you, there is a very real God wants to raise you up. There's a very real God that wants to raise you up. There's a very real God that wants to make you aware of His purpose for you. Very real God. Even if you think to yourself, no, I can't depend on anybody else. I'm stubborn. It's the only way I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell you, there's a very real God that wants to set you free this morning. He wants to set you free. I'm going to tell you something. We all have a little bit of stubborn in us, I think, at one time or another. Some have a measure. It's not like faith. We're all given an equal measure. Some of us wallow in a stubbornness that can't be measured in a cup. It's measured by the bucketfuls. But no matter what measure of stubbornness exists in any of us, I want to tell you, this is what I know to be true. And God, to those who will let Him, will raise them up. To be raised up is to come to the place, Father, even if I can do it myself, even when I can do it myself, I'm looking to You. I'm looking to You. Help me know. Show me how to make this right your right. Help me, lead me, guide me, direct me, instruct me, whatever it takes. Raise me up. Amen.